welcome to the Lizbiz podcast. I have Milo Leakehe here with me. Perfect. Hi, Milo. Hey, Liz. Good to be on the show. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Um, Milo is a like longtime friend, and just as an icebreaker, um, we're going to talk about our most embarrassing recent stories. Oh, you're doing it too. Yes. Oh, awesome. Yes. Good. Um, so, but I'll have you start. <laughs> So most, we had to ask my wife, Amy, about this because I couldn't remember, but it's a good one. So we were on a trip not too long ago. Amy doesn't like to stop at gas stations to get treats, but my family, we always did. <laughs> so I ran into the gas station. I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. Um, and then I was like, I'm going to buy some candy to eat because Amy's going to be sleeping on the way back. <laughs> so I get some Reese's and then like hide it in my pocket so she can't see it. <laughs> And then get in the car and we're driving. And like Reese's Pieces? Reese's Pieces, okay. yeah. Uh -huh. And you know the, like my Elantra, it has like those beige seats. Uh -huh. So she like was in the passenger seat, looked away. I hurried and moved them to like in between my crotch <laughs> so I could like pull them out and eat them while she was yeah. looking. And uh, anyways, I was doing this, drove for a few hours, then we had to stop. And then we stopped at another place. I got out and turned around and she's like, ew, what is that? <laughs> And I didn't realize one of them had fallen under and melted. Oh, my So it looked gosh. like I pooped my pants. So there was like Reese's smeared all over the sea, all over the back of my pants. So I say they're Reese's feces now. <laughs> Reese's feces. Did you get it off your uh, car? Yeah, I mean, it took a while. We had to get a detail. Oh, oh, my yeah, God. That's so funny. <laughs> yep, there's my embarrassing story. That's hilarious. Well, mine, so I'm part of, or I'm going to be part of this mastermind group with like um, 20 professional, like oh, professional cool. women, right? Yeah. Entrepreneurs. Um, and we got an email telling us that we needed to put in our food order for like lunches and dinners and they sent us the menu. Um, but okay, this is partly their fault because they didn't do a BCC. They just did CC everyone. Okay. I don't know if that was so like we could have everyone's emails. But I just wasn't paying attention. It's it was the work day. I reply all. <laughs> yes. I replied all and I like told everyone what I was eating. And then I sent it and I realized that I sent it to everyone. And I was like so embarrassed. So then I replied all again. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you all know what I'm going to eat if anyone wants to share. What did you order? Was it something like weird? No. I mean, we had a menu. <laughs> I don't know. I've actually never eaten there. But now you're that person. Yeah. I'm that person that doesn't know how to use email. So that was pretty funny. Um, okay, the next icebreaker is what is a recent obsession of yours? Yeah, probably Diet Coke. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know when this got started. I honestly didn't drink a lot of soda. Amy doesn't drink soda. And who knows when, but probably in the last like three or four months, I've been drinking that like obsessively. And you know how like some people like think diet sodas taste like crap, but then there's yeah. diet, diet Coke, especially people like worship that. Yeah. And, and I don't diet know. Dr. Pepper too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the flavor is like way better than the normal with the sugar. Really? Yeah. And I don't know what it is. Like I might be becoming an addict, but I'm <laughs> drinking a lot of diet. Coke. <laughs> You're joining the Utah clan. <laughs> Apparently. Um, mine is actually also a drink. I've been really into pina coladas. Ooh. I don't know why. Sometimes yeah. I kind of go through this where I get obsessed with random things. Yeah. And I just got it in my head that I wanted pina coladas. Yeah. And then I went to the store and I got pineapple juice and like coconut milk. And I tried oh, to make them. it. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah I tried yeah. to make it and it yeah. tasted really bad. Yeah. Like Israel and Cece were making fun of me. <laughs> like, they were like, you definitely don't know how to Is do this. Is it just the mixers and like some 7-Up or something? Or like I don't know. <laughs> so I've been experimenting like almost every night. I think I'm getting it down, but I add lechera now. Sweet and condensed Oh, nice, milk. nice, nice, yeah. nice. That's my favorite pancake topping. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's so good. Yeah. yeah. Fun fact, we went to the Bahamas maybe two years ago, and they had, it was like all-inclusive. I drink, I think it was 18 pina coladas oh in one, one day. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's so that much sugar. Joking. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to wait on that That's hilarious. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, just to talk about Milo's background, and then I'll kind of um, talk about what I know, and then you correct yeah, me. Yeah, yep. So you grew up in Tooele. Yep, Tooele, um, Utah. That's where you met Amy. Yep. You went to high school. 
Did Nine. you go to elementary together? No, I moved there when I was 14. Oh. We had geography class together, and I basically spent all of high school trying to get her to like me. <laughs> More or less worked. <laughs> I mean, you're married now, so yeah, that works. After a long, I mean, we didn't date. Yeah, she shut me down after my mission. And after like two years, it finally came back together. So. <laughs> Love it. Yep. Little Tuila. Um, and then you went and served a mission in Mexico. Yep, yep. Okay. So you speak Spanish. Yeah, I mean, not very well anymore, but... I think I you do. To. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Really nice. Um, and you did your bachelor's. Did you do that after your mission? Yeah, like, I mean, I did a year before, went on a mission, came back, and then did public health. thought so I was going to be a doctor. But Amy went to Utah State. So how did yeah. you... Yeah, so that's so I think that's one of the reasons why it took so long. So we graduated, she went to Utah State, I went to BYU. And we were like we still kind of had a thing, but mm. like we were both going on dates. And then I left on a mission. And then she when I came back, she was finishing up her senior year or junior year, and I still had a long way to go. So we tried to date like long distance and it was mostly I was a really awkward RN. And anyway, it didn't work out. And then eventually she graduated, got a job down here in Utah County. Mm, that's how it went, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's where I came in. That's where you came yeah. in. <laughs> yep. Wait, so your bachelor's was in public health? I yep. actually didn't know that. Yep, thought I was going to be a doctor. Oh. I was like pretty set on it. Um, and then I interviewed a bunch of doctors and they all told me not to do it. <laughs> I was like, dang. So, I, I mean, public health is a degree you really can't do anything with. Yeah. You have to go get a grad degree. So I knew I was going to do some sort of like uh, graduate work mm -hmm. and ended up doing the law route. Okay. Yep. So you got married, you graduated or graduated, got married and then yep. sold pest control. Yeah. Well, so I was doing, I was selling pest control during um, my undergrad and now all your listeners are going to hate me because I'm one of the door to door guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did that. I just, I thought it was a good way to pay for college and, uh, I don't know. You hear a lot of different things about it. For us, it was a blessing. Yeah. I don't know anyone who loves it. Like, it's a miserably hard job. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it got, it got us through school. So, I guess it did what we needed it to do. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. But then, when did you start law school then? Like, how many years after you graduated? Um, what did I? So, I took or I guess why two years. Too. Yeah. So, I took two years off. I did my undergrad. And, um, yeah, the plan was actually to do a JD MBA. And because I was pretty interested in, I was pretty set after deciding I was going to be a doctor that I was going to do something in the business world, but um, wasn't quite sure what. And at, over the next like few years, I kept running into these really successful businessmen. And I would always be like, hey, you know, what's one thing you would do differently? And there were a few of them who were like, you know what, you should get a law degree. Like if you mm -hmm. want to separate yourself. Um, and a few of them quoted like some weird stat that, like 20 or 30 percent of all fortune 500 ceos have law degrees mm. and i was like well that'll be a cool cool route to end up in business and I, th I think i would have you know i entertained the idea of being a lawyer like it was it would have been fun but yeah in the end i knew i was going to do something in the entrepreneurship world and it just seemed like another route to kind of differentiate it awesome so you bought your first business the same year you started law school yeah <laughs> that was crazy <laughs> Yeah, so I started law school, and then um, it was kind of funny, like, pretty quickly, after, like, two months of law school, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I don't want to be an attorney, and so I was basically looking for something I could do to build, like, an entrepreneurship resume, mm -hmm. and basically went back to the old pest control company I was with. I was like, you know what, that's not a hard business model, mm -hmm. um, and brokered essentially, like, a franchise. They don't call it a franchise, but functionally, it feels like a franchise. Um, so anyways, yeah, it was crazy. Like during law school, like I remember during finals week in between finals, we were like calling to buy trucks and like sign a lease <laughs> and we were like making our first few hires. So that's cool though. Yeah. And you bootstrapped this. Yeah. Bootstrapped it. So I financed, um, the majority of it and then brought on two other partners. One of them helped to finance a little bit, but yeah, it was just a cool crash course in how to run like a business 101, like we went through all the different stages. Um, and it was kind of cool doing it during law school because we got a really unique perspective on like the startup phase on the legal side. Perfect. And you grew this from zero essentially to 2 million in annual revenue. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of hard work. Um, Amy always says I was like an absentee husband during <laughs> school, but yeah, I mean, we did like three years basically of like 70 hour weeks between the two. Nice. And, but I mean, it's paid off. Yeah. I think so. So we'll see where it goes. So then what is uh, JMZ Capital? Yeah. So that's a entity I basically formed during my last year of law school. Um, Long-term, kind of what I was thinking, there's this thing called acquisition entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So instead of starting a company, you basically go find like some retiring baby boomers who have really good businesses, mm -hmm. and then you buy it from them and then basically build it where they take off. Mm -hmm. And so originally when I formed Jamesy Capital, the idea was to have that as kind of the holding company under which we'd start buying these like either dental practices or a lot of people do it like veterinary clinics. Mm -hmm. um, but we actually ended up uh, raising quite a bit of money and then had the opportunity to buy a few more locations. So we're like, we know this, this is going really well. Locations um, for pest control? Yeah, pest okay. control. Yep. So we bought um, three more of those. And yeah, so JMZ Capital, it's functionally, it, it kind of feels like a holding company. So mm -hmm. we raised some money underneath that. We've done some like consulting work underneath that. We're doing some like real estate acquisition stuff underneath that. So. Um, it'll be interesting to kind of see what it turns into, but right now we're doing anything we can to make money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you raise this money though? Yeah, it was kind of funny. So, um, so me and my two partners, JMZ, we, um, I don't know if it, we, we had built a kind of reputation, but we had money come to us. Oh. Like they had seen what we had done on this first location. And then people kind of came out of the woodwork and were like, Hey, like we heard you guys are doing pretty good. Mm. Like. If you guys want to scale up and build it, we'd love to throw some money at you guys. Um, and so we reached out to a handful of people and got quite a bit of interest. And then, so that would have been equity financing. So we're giving up mm -hmm. equity in the company to do that. But then um, last second before we we're about to like close on this, we actually looked at some debt financing options and ran the numbers and it turned out to be a little bit cheaper to do it through basically a loan with some terms and, we went with an entirely different group. So mm. that was kind of, I think that was like a perk. That's probably something we couldn't have done on the first one, but um, yeah. So some of the best advice I've gotten over the years is whatever you do, just do good at it. Yeah. And doors will open. Yeah. And that's pretty much just what happened. We did a really good job on our first business and caught the attention of some people and they wanted to put their money to work. So cool. <laughs> yeah. I wish that's me someday. <laughs> um, okay, cool. And your study emphasis was corporate, Law, constitutional law, and entrepreneurship. Yeah, right? okay. yeah, yep. You can do a million things, obviously. Like some people go into government, some people go into litigation, but I knew I was going to work in the business world. And then also constitutional law is just fun, mm -hmm. especially while I was in law school because you had so many interesting things that Donald Trump was doing to like <laughs> yeah. raise constitutional issues. Um, but yeah, I loved law school. It was, it was great. Um, I actually didn't like BYU undergrad, but absolutely loved the law school. Mm -hmm. Every day in my undergrad, I was like, why am I going to BYU? I hate it here. <laughs> um, but the law school is totally different. Awesome classmates, awesome professors. My only regret, I wish I would have spent a little bit more time with my classmates. Mostly while I was there, I was just in it. Like I'd get there at 6 a.m., lock myself in a corner until 4 p.m. and study as hard as mm -hmm. I could so I could go work right after school. Yeah. Um, but it was great. Yeah, really grateful for the experience. You recommend 10 out of 10. Yeah, 100%. Or 9 out of 10. No, 10 out of 10. Yeah, <laughs> highest recommendations to BYU Law. It was nothing but a good experience. Um, I hope they would take me back in if they knew from the get-go that I wasn't going to practice law. <laughs> it was really, really beneficial to me. Um, I feel like a lot of people go to law school and they don't practice. Yeah, it's become – there were a handful of uh, classmates that aren't planning on practicing, but – it's becoming more and more of a common route. Um, some people go into HR is becoming a common route because oh. like employment yeah, law and is really intertwined. And then um, other kids, yeah, entrepreneurship is becoming a thing now too, just because you understand like so much of the value in entrepreneurship is given away right when you bring on investors and mm -hmm. depending on how you structure that, you can you know make or lose a ton of money. Cool. So let's actually talk about that. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, um, with that said, um, what kind of tips do you have? Especially like, I guess if you're starting a business, what's the first thing you need to do? How do you know how to pick whether you want to be an LLC, LLC partnership or corporation? Yep. 
Yeah, no, good question. So, and before I get into this, mm-hmm. true legal fashion, I have to give a disclaimer. <laughs> it's not legal advice. Uh-huh. Um, and once again, so I have an attorney that I use to do all this. Like uh-huh. I know the framework, but I'm going to graduate law school, still haven't taken the bar yet. So um, all of this is kind of very, very general. Yeah. Um, I think kind of what I'm going to say with a lot of this is if you guys have really good questions, you should always go consult an attorney. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that later. Like I, I think a lot of people are afraid to use attorneys because they're expensive. Yeah. But we'll kind of talk about like navigating that. But okay. yeah, so um, yeah, so if you want to start a business, so I guess first thing first is kind of picking um, the entity you're going to use. So generally, there's three different types, and like I said, this is generally. If you mm-hmm. ask people, they'll go dive down into it. But um, prior to like the 70s and 80s, there was basically partnerships and corporations. Mm-hmm. So corporation, that's like you know these huge companies that you think of, like Walmart or um, I don't know. We got like Vivin. They're probably organized as a corporation here. But in even when they start, they're a corporation. Um, a lot of the times, yeah. Oh. So that's so. There's a few different things you want to think of um, strategically. It's um, like what's kind of your growth plan or exit plan. So it's basically if you're planning on going big, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to do like multiple rounds of funding, and there's going to be a ton of people involved, then a lot of times your attorney is going to say, you know, it sounds like you might want to go the corporation route because that's a little bit easier to build with investors. Um, if you're not thinking that huge, then a lot of people tell you to kind of think the LLC route. So there's a, there's a bunch of different considerations. Yeah. You need to think about your exit plan that goes into it. You need to think about um, your kind of your tax strategy liability. So um, before LLCs in the eighties, it was, you chose basically between a partnership and a corporation and basically like the big things that, separated them is with the partnership um they had what was called pass-through taxation so you didn't pay taxes on the income of the business it just passed through directly to you and then you that was kind of seen on your income and then with corporations they had a lot more protections but once you would have a profit on the corporation that would get taxed Mm. and then that would pass through the shareholders and then get taxed again so double Uh, taxation mm -hmm. um and then the other thing that was really a big difference was the amount of liability you had. So on a corporation, let's say the corporation went bankrupt, then the bank or the creditors couldn't go to the shareholders and say, hey, we're going to take away your house also because mm-hmm. the corporation kind of protected that. And then partnerships were the exact opposite, where it was like if your business went under, there wasn't any more money in the business, they could come after your home. Mm. And so like a fairly recent invention, they call them LLCs, limited liability corporation. That's probably what you guys have. Yeah. That's what like the vast majority of people have. And those, they kind of do both. So they're going to get you, they're going to protect you on the liability side to prevent as much as possible from um, people being able to get assets outside of the corporation, but then they have passed through taxation. So um, that's probably a lot for most people. Usually, um, it's, you're probably just going to do an LLC. Yeah. Unless you're going to go do like, like I said, a huge tech company that's going to grow really big, or you're going to do like some sort of like private equity fund or real estate investment fund. Then those two, you kind of need a different model, but a lot of people will say, just assume you're going to do an LLC and that usually has the best protections for you. Um, as far as like doing it. Yeah. Can they come after you um, in an LLC? Uh, so it's, it's a lot more protective, mm-hmm. right? As long as you're using the right form, um, no. So if, if you're using the LLC like it's supposed to be used, then it does protect your assets to a degree outside of the LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, people get in trouble though, when they're not really using the LLC, like they're using the exact same bank account with their LLC, uh, personal mm-hmm. finances. And if you're mixing that, then that can cause problems. But yeah, generally an LLC is going to give you the liability protection. Cool. Yep. Um, what else were we going to cover in there? How do you, how do you, um, even oh, get yeah. to be an LLC? <laughs> yeah. I guess. Good question. Um, yeah. So let's say you have your business idea. Um, usually the first step is to go uh, incorporate or register with the state. So that's just done on, uh, I think it's corporations.utah.gov. Mm-hmm. I have to drop the link if that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, it's super simple. Um, there's a bunch of different links right on the page. Utah is really, really easy. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to file, I think it's called your certificate of incorporation or articles of organization. I should know that. 
-hmm. um, but they're basically just going to ask for your basic information. So like um, the address of the business, what your business plan is, or like, what you're planning on doing business as. And that can be really, really general. Like you can even just say, we're planning on making money, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's going to ask for like a registered agent, which is basically like, where do you want official documents sent? That's usually the business address. Um, and then, yeah, on Utah, you just fill out the form, send it in, and then they'll get back to you pretty soon with articles of organization, basically saying who the uh, shareholders are, who um, the officers are, all of that stuff. Um, and you usually want to file at the same time. I think it's called the SS4, um, applying for a, a federal tax ID mm -hmm. so your business can register with the IRS. And at the, uh, yeah, at the most basic level, that's all you need to get started. After that, usually you'll run to the bank because you want a separate bank account for your mm -hmm. business. And you go to the bank and they'll ask you for your articles of organization. I hope I'm calling that. I right. think it's incorporation. Articles incorporation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Different states call them different things. <laughs> um, yeah. Articles incorporation and they'll ask for um, all the paperwork and then they get you a bank account set up and then. After that, that's more kind of a business thing. So you have to set up like your merchant processors. So how are you going to get people to, to charge pay people, you, yeah, pay yeah. you into your account? And after that, it's this, um, basically just building the business. So Utah, luckily, it's really easy. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to do it, you just jump online really quick and file and, and you go. And then it. you renew every year, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And you have to pay a fee. Yeah, because you know? I just did that like yesterday. Yeah. So. <laughs> and if you don't, they'll send you a reminder. <laughs> yeah. And it's only like 20 bucks. So yeah. it's actually really cheap. Yeah, 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 it's really cheap. So usually at this question, it's like, well, then why do I need an attorney at this point? Mm -hmm. And probably the answer would be, like, if you're if if it's just you, like, let's say you're going to start an e-commerce business, you don't plan away on giving away any of your company or taking on any funding from the bank or investors. You're always going to be the sole owner. Then. And yeah, it's pretty straightforward. There's still some things an attorney can do for you, but where you probably don't want to go without an attorney is anytime there's multiple people involved in your business. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, if you bring on like one partner or two partners or you bring on investors, then at that point, um, the other thing you, you usually have is called um, your operating agreement. Mm -hmm. So, and this is really important. Like this is where entrepreneurs can totally get taken advantage of and get their companies taken away from them. Mm -hmm. um, and battles are won and lost just on that. So your operating agreement, um, like a good analogy, it's, it's basically the rules that you guys write together who start the company about how the game is gonna be played. Mm -hmm. So just like Monopoly or Settlers of Catan mm -hmm. has rules. It's like, I'm so good at Monopoly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's good if you're going into business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's basically like the operating agreement is, is spelling out like, like what each person can do. Like if you think of like their powers and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Rights, responsibilities, penalties, Shares, rewards. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the most important thing is how much um, control. Company. Yeah. Okay. Control, share, rights to distributions does everyone have? Um, and that part you probably are going to want to go talk with an attorney. Um, I've seen people try to do it themselves and it just, if you do it wrong, it doesn't protect you at all. Right. And then it's just like, well, you might actually have gotten yourself in a bigger hole <laughs> than to start with. And that, at that point, if you're going to bring on more people than a hundred percent, I mean, yeah. And, and you want to get that right. So most important, I'll do this quick, not to get in the weeds, but the most important things in your operating agreement um, that you commonly people run into are going to be so number one shares mm -hmm. so how many shares does each person have usually there's like a vesting schedule mm -hmm. so like if me and you were to start a business then you know you would want some sort of protection that if i signed right after if we both signed today tomorrow i couldn't walk away and you build the business and i get a free ride so mm -hmm. vesting is basically how long does each person have to be involved until they get full rights to their shares usually people do that at like a five year period where you're committed for five years, you're locked in to build a business. Um, the other one you want to be kind of aware of, especially if you're working with investors, yeah. <laughs> is if they give you money, um, a lot of times they're going to write in some sort of like preferred return where let's say you made $100,000 in profit 
they can write into the operating agreement before you do anything with that hundred thousand, you have to pay them X amount mm -hmm. of money. And that can totally kill the business right. if you're not aware of it. Then you can't reinvest and yeah. use it for other stuff. Yeah. And then the last one I'll say on that is it goes vice versa. Um, if let's say you gave me money to run a business, the other thing, if you don't put in your operating agreement that I could do, if I'm CEO and I could say, cool, like I'm going to pay my, if there's a hundred thousand dollars in profit, I'm going to pay myself a hundred thousand dollars salary. Yeah. And then you're never getting any distributions from the business. And so you want to think about those things. Um, that's just a high level overview, but, um, I think, yeah, the, Generally, if you're going to go into business with other people, it's probably a good point to go talk with an attorney to, and they'll go through all the things that one of the attorney's jobs is basically to think about what if things go wrong and they have a huge list of things. What happens if this happens? You kind of want to have that pretty spelled out to, like I said, it's the rules of the game. You right. want to have a plan for it when it pops up. Yeah. And I think it's also probably important even when you're going into business with family. Yeah. I think a lot of people make that mistake where they just trust their family members, whether oh, yeah. they're siblings or cousins or uncles yeah. or whatever, and then they get screwed over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, me and Cece have operating agreement. <laughs> Good, yeah. um, I yeah. don't think we're going to screw each other over, but, um, but yeah, we yeah. have one. It's just, and even like friends, like, I think yeah, especially your, friends. your first business, you're so optimistic. You're just mm -hmm. like, things are going to go well. But then you don't think about like when there's money on the table. People get greedy. Yeah, they get greedy. Yeah. And they might not even think they're greedy. They just think they're being totally fair. Right. And if you don't have it kind of spelled out. It, it but people get sense. emotional because people will be like, oh, well, I'm doing more work. Yeah. So I deserve more money or whatever it is. Yeah. So I guess what would you suggest if you are in that situation where you didn't get an, <laughs> an operating agreement, agreement and yeah. you're getting kind of screwed over, I guess? Yeah. I mean, yeah, go go find an attorney um, is usually not a bad route. So, I mean, you so you got to understand also like most business disputes like they never end up in court right. or with attorney. Hopefully you can work it out with your partner. Mm -hmm. But if it kind of comes to the point where you two are on totally different pages, then yeah, you go counsel with an attorney. The other option is you could go to like mediation. Mm -hmm. So mediation is basically, I think BYU does it for free. It's when two people are basically mad at each other. Instead of <laughs> suing each other, you get someone who's kind of playing. They're not going to decide. They're just helping you to like, both of you, talk to, it out. yeah, talk it out. And I've been to these; they're awesome. Like they do a really good job. So that's an option. Or arbitration is kind of in between those, where it's not a court and the person isn't a judge, but there's kind of a person acting as a judge, who's kind mm. of hearing both of you out. Okay. But yeah, if you're in a bad situation, go find an attorney. <laughs> Probably the next step. For okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cool. And then I guess when, how would you use an attorney? Like, where would you even look for one? Like, yeah. if I wanted to, I don't even know anyone except for you yeah, and Simone. Yeah. And I um, have an attorney, so you don't want to come talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, how would you even go about finding an attorney? Yep. What's like a fair price, I guess, I yep, would expect. Yep. Great question. So most people, I think when they start a business are terrified of using an attorney because they hear of like $200 now or $300 mm -hmm. and want to rack up a bill. Um, so first things first, so you should shop around. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would ask for references from your friends. Who are you using? Um, jump online, look for reviews. I use, uh, Bennett Johnson, Tuller Deer. I might've mixed those names. <laughs> Tuller Deer. <laughs> yeah. It's all of the, the name partners. Oh yeah. yeah. But I don't, I've never met any of those guys. The attorney I use, he's a BYU graduate. He's been awesome. So you guys can look them up, but um, yeah, so getting started. So even when we chose our attorney, we looked at like three or four. We reached out and said, hey, we're starting a business. Um, we're just, and tell the attorneys this, we're shopping around. Mm -hmm. And that's going to cue to them, I'm not paying you right now. Like I'm just looking at options. Yeah. And then you basically go in and say, here's kind of what we're looking at. And at that point, it's great because the attorneys are basically going to try and pitch you mm -hmm. on like why, you, and they'll give you an overview of here's what we could do for you. Here's some good reasons to use us, and then we'll go over rates. And generally, it seems like most Utah attorneys, as long as you're not going with the huge, like, Salt Lake firms, mm -hmm. like a starting attorney is going to be like $200 an hour to $250. If you get expensive, it might be up to like $500 or even up to $1,000 wow. an hour. So avoid those. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, you're basically going to tell the attorney what you want. And the cool thing is you can set limits too. So you can tell them, I have a budget of $1,000. Mm -hmm. I need you to do this. They might tell you there's no way I can do that right. with that amount of money. But, um, you know, they'll give you a, a pretty fair evaluation. And then if you decide to go with someone, they send you an engagement letter, which is basically saying, hey, I'm going to be your attorney. I'm loyal to you. They'll do a conflict check to make sure like they're not representing you and the person you're trying to sue because that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then after that, you get started. Um, the attorney we're using is he's great. One of the reasons we've really liked him is he's really, really quick. Mm -hmm. So something that you might imagine will take 30 hours, he does in like a fourth of an hour. And so mm. it's like a long session is going to be like an hour. And that's when we get billed 250. But a lot of things for us, he's been able to do in like 15 minutes or 30 minutes. Oh, you cool. keep it a little bit cheaper. So, yeah, I think shop around, call four or five places, tell them what you want. And then, um, and if you, like I said, if you start out by saying I'm shopping around and they kind of know that you're not my client yet and I can't start charging you until mm -hmm. you're my client. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, one thing that I actually had help from BYU was creating like employee agreements, independent right. contracts. Um, I guess, how would you go about that? Yeah, so that's probably something I should mention. So yeah, BYU has an awesome free resource, the BYU Legal Clinic, mm -hmm. where I think they'll pretty much take you on as long as you're not like a four, like as long as you're not like making money. <laughs> yeah, as long <laughs> you know? as you're not crazy big. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, they and they can go in and basically help you get your business set up. So they can help you with your operating agreement. Um, they can help you get your uh, customer contracts if you're selling things. They can help you get, you're going to hire employees and an independent contractor agreements. And I think they do it for free, right? They mm -hmm. Yeah, it's free. Yeah, and the cool thing about that is it's, so it's, you're going to be working with law students, but the professor overseeing it, assuming it's the same guy, he's the man. Mm -hmm. Like that guy <laughs> was a partner at one of the biggest law firms in the nation. Oh. And so you're getting like this awesome like legal counsel yeah. for basically nothing. So if you have a limited budget, that's a great place to start. Cool. Yep. Um, I guess to go along with that too, on the legal standpoint, because there's also an accountant standpoint yep. on hiring independent contracts versus employees. Yep. Yeah. So you got to be really careful. <laughs> um, and different attorneys are going to tell you different things, but um, I think Utah especially is a little bit too liberal with what they consider an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to understand the reason businesses want to hire independent contractors is they don't have to pay employment wages. Right. And then quote unquote employees like that because they get to write everything off. Mm -hmm. um, you got to be careful though, because if you classify them as the wrong one, then the IRS could give you this really big penalty. And so once again, this is just generally, you should go consult an attorney, <laughs> but it's generally, they're going to look at like how much control do you have over the employee? And it's pretty much, if you're telling the employee how to do something, when to do their, uh, when to, what hours they have to be, then that's an employee and you should hire them on a W-2 mm -hmm. and you're going to have to pay payroll taxes on them. If you're hiring someone who's like, Hey, I just need this job done. Don't care how you do it. Don't care when. Um, just do it. Yeah. Then the government sees that as a different business, and at that point, they're an independent contractor. So you kind of got to be careful with right. Like what you, you're can doing. you give independent contracts timelines though and yeah. stuff like that? Okay. Yeah, one hundred percent. So like you can if you want to hire like a photographer mm -hmm. to like do a bunch of photos or an advertising and say, hey, I need this done. That's an independent contractor, but you can't hire someone and say, hey, you're going to work nine to five for me. Right. Like have a set tasks. schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, okay. Awesome. And then the next thing was just kind of your perspective since you obviously have been in business for a while. Yeah. You have been successful. Um, being smart about working with investors or partners, like some yeah. pitfalls that. We yeah. Avoid. Probably the biggest mistake is just, yeah, I think being overly optimistic and thinking everything's going to work out. And the thing I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake in, they just don't know what to think about yet. And there's a lot of complex parts, especially when you bring on partners that can quickly go wrong. Mm -hmm. So, and that's mainly what I talked about in the operating agreement. So um, hopefully with your partners, before you really get rolling, you have some sort of an idea. So figure out what the commitment is. So if we're partnering up, 
you know, and we're going to start like a lawn care company. Then you say, Hey Liz, we want to, I want to build this business up with you. Like I'm, hopefully you're committed to do this for like five years with me. This is going to be a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I don't want you like, you know, going to start another three jobs and then mm -hmm. I'm building this. So think about things like that, like what the commitment is, what the horizon is, um, kind of figure out who's going to do what as much as possible. Because the other thing people tend to do is they start a business with a friend who's really, really, really similar to them. <laughs> and you both have the same skill set. Yeah. And then it's like, eventually one of you is doing all of the sales and marketing and finance and the other is just kind of taking a back seat and one person feels like they're doing way more. Right. So yeah, try and spell out as much of the accountabilities and responsibilities as you possibly can with your partners. And it's a hard talk, mm -hmm. right? Um, and say, Hey, this is what I'm expecting. And then figure out how you're going to divide the equity up too. Okay. Um, a lot of people just say, let's just split this evenly because you're friends, mm -hmm. but that's not fair because you know, you might be bringing a ton more and being willing to commit to a lot more. And the other person is, you know, just kind of following your lead and that's just setting you two up for conflict down the road. Cause if you feel like you're doing more and carrying more weight, mm -hmm. then it's just going to cause. So yeah. So working with partners, have a game plan, have that crucial conversation to talk about equity and what you think is fair and kind of what the expectations are. And then even talk about, I think it's a good idea to talk about like an exit strategy, like, mm -hmm. Are we trying to hold this for forever? Are we trying to build this to sell it? Um, and what's going to happen kind of at that point? Because there's several different ways to sell, right? Where you sell, well, I, I'm thinking e-commerce specifically because that's what mm -hmm. I'm in. Like you can sell and still be an acting CEO, like depending on obviously who you're selling to yeah. and still hold the majority of your shares or you can just completely sell out Yeah. and just. Yeah, and even if it. you sell out, so a lot of companies that buy you, they basically want the business run just like they're doing mm -hmm. it. And a lot of times that might entail you continuing to do your job. Right. They're just going to cash you out for all the equity and then give you a lot of times like a nicer salary. Right. So you might have a commitment where after you sell the business, you, you have to work as the CEO for like three years or five years. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. You can give away part of the company. Um, you, you can structure it where it's like, I want to be hands off, mm -hmm. but all of that's going to go into determining the price, right? Like if right. I'm buying your company and I know you don't want anything to do with it, suddenly I'm going to have to do a ton of work to find a new CEO right. and yeah. it's going to be, so that would like drop the price a little bit, but yeah, you can, but when I say like have an exit strategy, I just say basically decide, are you two trying to grow this for forever? Or are you one of you trying to like get to five years and let's cash out? And, yeah. Because there's a bunch of different strategies, right? You can go for 20, you can go, I want to build to $10 million revenue and then cash out and go build another one. It's kind of a strategy consideration. And you can also change strategies. Yeah. 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 You're not totally bound by it by any means. Um, and that's why I think usually like a three to five year vesting mm -hmm. commitment is about average because you might get three years in and be doing a totally different business than what you originally started. Yeah. Um, but have some sort of idea of what you want to do, and then your attorney will help to build that into the operating agreement. So okay. It protects everyone. Um, yeah. And then the last thing was just kind of talking about incentivizing employees with equity. Yeah. So that's probably like another consideration. So if you bootstrap it, mm -hmm. kind of like what we did in the first one, where you're trying to make your cash go as far as you can, the way you get around paying people market salaries is say, hey, you're going to get paid like $10,000 less than mm -hmm. what you might go find another company, but I'll give you some sort of equity. Mm -hmm. And that can come in a bunch of different like forms. Might be a stock option where it's basically like if you're in sales, if you produce $2 million in revenue, cool, you hit this condition and you earn all this equity and they have to hit these conditions. Um, you could do it something like, I don't know, most people are probably going to tell you don't give, if it's a truly an employee, probably shouldn't give them a chunk of equity just because, because <laughs> they really can, you could fire them. And if you're not careful, like they own the third company, yeah. you know, so kind of want to avoid just being like flat out. You usually want to, if, if they're a true employee and they didn't help found the company, you want to create some sort of like either a profit share plan or stock options, or you can do like rounds of giving off issuing multiple shares. But um, I think the point on that is just, I would avoid if it's like me and you starting a business and we have to hire an accountant, 
we shouldn't say, hey, there's three yeah. of us, we're going to get a third. <laughs> like I've seen that happen. Um, like make them do something and make that, it's not going to be equity, but like make those stock options tied to some level of performance that they have to hit. Okay. And same thing, if you do want to do equity, just make it invest with um, whoever your employees are. So hopefully they're going to be with you for a few years to help you kind of build it out and get mm -hmm. going. Yep. Cool. Um, and then this is just what I just thought of. Cool. This will be the last question. Yeah, no, no. Because um, we've talked about bootstrapping versus funding a business. So I yeah. guess the difference between that and why you would suggest either one or the other. Yeah. So Since you've done both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, both are fun. Different. <laughs> so bootstrapping, for those of you who don't know, that's basically referring to you're running and building the business with your own money or maybe the money you get from like a few family friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's what bootstrapping is. You're building it ground up and that, that was kind of fun. You're not taking loans out and yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, no loans, not giving out equity. It's all you. Mm -hmm. um, growth to grow is really expensive. So that's one thing a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize is it costs a lot of money usually to grow. Mm -hmm. And so if you bootstrap it, usually you do that if you don't have access to the capital or I guess you might do that if you have huge profit margins. Like, let's say you can make something for $10 and then sell it for 1000 And cool, <laughs> you can, like, you have this huge profit to kind of rebuild the business back in. Mm -hmm. And then the other nice thing about bootstrapping it is usually you have all the control in the world, right? So mm -hmm. there's not these investors who are trying to tell you what to do with their money. You have full creativity as long as it's legal and you can run it. Um, second thing about that is usually can't pay yourself anything yeah like, i know yeah. i know because we're bootstrapped yeah. and people always think i make so much money and i'm like you have no idea yep yeah a good phrase for bootstrapping is you're going to be equity rich and cash poor yes so on paper you might be a millionaire uh -huh. but then your bank account is like every dime is just going right back into the yeah. business <laughs> so that's bootstrapping i think bootstrapping is really fun it's I, I think it feels a little bit more entrepreneurial that's uh, a great crash course into like finance and accounting and you really get a feel for the business and it makes you be really, really smart with the money. Mm -hmm. So you're doing everything you can to make the money go as far as you can. Um, the other way to do it is to uh, raise money. And so you can either do that through debt by going to a bank and taking out a big loan. Um, if you do that, it's going to be at a horribly high interest rate. Mm -hmm. Um, the other way is to get investors who don't have, you don't have to make monthly interest payments, but you're going to give away like, you know, 30 or 40 or 50% of your company in exchange for some startup money to keep going. The nice thing, so there's a few pros about working with investors. Number one, mm -hmm. they are suddenly really interested in your business. Yeah. And hopefully if they have a lot of money, they've had some success and they can act as really good mentors. Mm -hmm. And so bring on investors, even though you're giving away a lot of the equity, they can say, Hey, I had a similar business like this. You guys are doing something stupid right now. Like, <laughs> do this. Yeah. And they have a lot of connections. Um, the other nice thing is it, you can usually pay yourself some sort of salary. So most people who are raising money to start companies, they're not like living on $20,000 a year. They're paying themselves some sort of reasonable salary so that they can, and a lot of the investors want that. Like if I were to give someone money to start a business, I don't want the person feeling so strapped that they're having to work a side job and get distracted. Right. I'm like paying you like, yes, pay yourself a salary so you can focus all of your time and efforts on this business for a number of years. And then hopefully in the end that pays me back and I get my money back. The bad thing about working with investors they can really take advantage of you. <laughs> so when you give up equity, you usually give up a lot of control of the company. And you got to be careful about investors because a lot of them are going to have really great lawyers who they're going to pay for the contracts to be built. And you're going to sign this operating agreement that's like 50 pages long. But if you do X, Y, and Z, the investors will have the right to basically like take away your company. Mm. Like that's a thing you got to be careful about. So, um, if you do bring on investors, once again, go hire a lawyer. <laughs> and the nice thing with, with investors, if you bring on investors, hopefully they give you enough money that, you know, if you go pay a lawyer three grand to basically make sure the operating agreement is set up right, then you can cover that three grand cost. If you have to go spend a couple thousand dollars to hire a nice lawyer who's gonna get everything set up right for you and protect you, then you'll have enough money 
from the future money coming that you can kind of cover those costs with it. But I guess the big takeaway from all of this, yeah, it, I think, and this is once again, me, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not uh -huh. ever going to be a lawyer. I pay for, I have an attorney uh -huh. um, after doing it both ways. So bootstrapping it, we didn't use an attorney and then using an attorney, I think it's well worth the money to go find an attorney and it doesn't have to be expensive. You can find someone who's going to do it for fairly cheap. But I think it's well worth the money to go counsel with one, get some help and set up. And the other nice thing is strategically, they can give you so much advice on how to, if you want to run things really, really legit, like something bigger investors are going to want, they'll tell you, wait a second, you're going to want a board. You're going to want like official officers in the company. You're going to want official. Because that's one thing if you're thinking about selling down the road, an investor comes into a company who's like, man, they don't have any structure in here. They're going to be like, I don't want any part of that. But if you have all the kind of corporate formalities where there's a board, there's some officers, there's some structure in place, a lot of investors are like, cool, that's a legit business. I know what I'm getting myself into. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit easier to get the money down the road. But yeah, hope, like I said, big thing, big takeaway. All this is general advice. <laughs> Go find an attorney. If you yes. the money. Um, and again, so if you've like already started on your journey, you know, like me, um, you can still restructure. Yeah, yeah, okay. sure. Yeah, restructuring is totally an option. And to be honest, I would guess the vast majority of businesses have no idea about operating agreements or structure when they get started. Most people, they're just like, hey, we have a cool idea. We're going to figure this out. And then you yeah. run into problems down the road where it's like, wait a second, how much do I own? <laughs> um, so it's not a bad, if, you, if you're already down that road, the attorney can help you to fix all that. And mm -hmm. a lot of times it's a pretty quick fix. Um, but it's usually a little bit easier if you do it from the get-go. And I mean, our first business that we bootstrapped hadn't done any of the corporate stuff. And then actually it saved us because, you know, right before we were about to sign the operating agreement, I was like, wait a second, I'm going over this in class. Like this operating agreement sucks. <laughs> we're going to be screwed if we sign this. Uh -huh. So I went through, we like restructured everything and got everything in place. And actually that, because we ended up bringing on, a few more partners after the three of us got started and had we not made those adjustments before it could have really gotten us in some hot water. So, um, once again, if you're running the business, I think it's well worth a few hundred bucks to go get an attorney to give you some good solid advice. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you, Milo. Um, of course. Yeah. It was great to be on the show. Any parting words? Um, no other general than, uh, advice. Yeah. Go. I love entrepreneurship. I think, yeah, I think that's the big thing I've realized in law school is it's not for everyone. It's not yeah. at all. It's really stressful. Super stressful. But and I, most people I run into that uh, want to be entrepreneurs, I usually try and talk them out of it because <laughs> I know the, the ones who are going to do it, mm. after I tell them not to do it, they're going to be like, that guy doesn't know anything and they're going to go do it anyways. Yeah. And those are usually the people who are cut out for it. Right. But one, some of the advice I got from one of those really successful entrepreneurs um, he said, he's like, he said, I've run into so many people who had an incredible idea and could have made millions. And the only reason they did it was because they never did it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've realized about entrepreneurship is like, it's not rocket science. It's really not. Yeah. It's mostly just having the guts to go out and do it, pulling the trigger and stepping into the unknown and then figuring it out. Yeah. Crap's going to hit the fan. Yeah. But it's crap's going to hit the fan if you go work a normal job and get paid. That's true. At least with entrepreneurship, you have control. And if things are going really well, can take a little bit of a backseat and back down. But I love it. It's been a blast. Um, going to continue doing it for probably the next decade. And yeah, for those of you who are considering the rest of your it, life, rest of my life, <laughs> who knows how long, but yeah, I love it. Great, great path. And if you're going to do it, um, just send it. Yeah, don't just do it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to one of my um, employees, actually, about she's kind of an entrepreneurial mind. And I was just telling her, I was like, a lot of people feel like they need to be experts at whatever they're going into, like yep. that they need to know enough about whatever it is. But Honestly, like you don't like yeah. I didn't know anything about shoemaking yep. or running a business in general or I mean I did a little bit about a business because I had a business before, but like I didn't know anything about production, manufacturing, yeah. customs. Yep. Like those are the things that you kind of just learn. Yeah. And after telling you all to think about this, like by no means do you have to have it all figured out. It's definitely better if you do have so all the businesses that I'm doing now. 
very clear plan, have a chat with every single partner, clear roles and expectations, but it's because I've been doing this for a few years now and I know the hurdles that pop up, but mm -hmm. if it's your first business and you don't just go for it, send <laughs> yeah. it, you might you run into some heartache and but that's part of the price you pay to get the experience. Do you, can like a document, like say I'm starting a business, it's my first business ever, I'm starting it with CC, mm -hmm. um, and then we just go online, register an LLC, is like, can we create our own operating agreement? Does that hold up in court later if we're like, if it's super basic where we say how many shares each of us has yeah. and all that stuff? Yeah, um, yeah. so for the most part, you can con uh, contract whatever you want, um, and you can be as creative as you want, as, as long as it's, there's a few things that's going to make it illegal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can't say, CC, you only have your shares if you name your first daughter Liz. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, I think you can, but weird <laughs> stuff like that. Like, you can't do weird illegal stuff in there, but yeah. pretty much everything else, um, there's... Utah has some laws on what has to be in an operating agreement. Mm -hmm. It has to say if it's an LLC, whether it's member managed or manager managed. Mm -hmm. So member managed is saying me and you, we have equal power and authority in the company and manager managed means we're basically picking like a CEO mm -hmm. and they're running the company okay. um, and a few other things, but you can Google operating agreement templates and then go for it. But I, I still wouldn't recommend, I had a friend who went on legal zoom and oh. found an operating agreement and then it had like a fill in the blanks uh -huh. and he tried to fill in the blanks and then he's like hey i have a few questions about this and i read it and i was like it's like dude <laughs> you like screwed yourself over with this operating agreement <laughs> yeah so you you can do it i wouldn't, you just wouldn't recommend yeah i wouldn't recommend cool. it i would go talk to an attorney and you can tell the attorney i want this extremely basic he's going to spend 30 minutes on it it's going to mm -hmm. cost you like 100 bucks but at least it has all the most basic things and if you want it really complex where it's like really cool working with investors and there's a board and CEOs, then they'll help you. And that might be 50 pages long, but um, that's going to cost, you know, a few grand probably. Sweet. Yep. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks, Milo. Yeah. Great to be on the show. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>